finally, after weeks of adventuring, you've arrived at the evil lair of the mastermind of this entire quest. Two massive doors are all that stand in your way. All right, everyone. This is it. I'm pretty sure that the guy we've been hunting is behind those doors. Let's go. I open them. You open the doors and see... A giant possum! Uh... A... A... A possum? Yes! <laughs> a, a possum created all of this chaos? Uh... He, he looks at you with black soulless eyes and a toothy grin filled with teeth. That, that doesn't make this any better. This time on Becoming DM, we're talking about our favorite monsters and how to use them. Hey everyone, this is John. And this is Felicia. And we're doing something a little bit new this time. We're starting, uh, we'll call it an occasional series. So it's not going to be one that we did like our Build Your Own series where we did one after another, all part of the same series. Mm. We're doing an occasional series. You'll every so often see a My Favorite Monster episode. And we are hoping to kind of expose listeners to maybe monsters that they hadn't considered before. uh, um, And to talk not only about the monsters, but how to use them against your players. (laughs) (laughs) Including possums. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So for this uh, this occasional series, uh, I know that there's monsters for a variety of different games. Mm. And we've talked about a variety of different games in the past. We will be primarily be talking about uh, and referencing Dungeons and Dragons material. Now, there is a lot of overlap for things that are in in the Monster Manual and are in, for instance, the Pathfinder Bestiary. So, if there is something that we are talking about that there is overlap and it makes sense to mention it, um, we will try to. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and typically, when we mention that overlap, I'll be referencing Pathfinder first edition because I don't have any of the books for second edition yet. <laughs> so uh, there we go. So let's go ahead and get into it. And I think, Felicia, to kick this off, I'm going <laughs> to let you tell us about your favorite monster. Okay. Um, well, one of my absolute favorite monsters, don't judge me, um, is the Sturge. Um, I, <laughs> I know it sounds so silly, but I've, I've kind of it's kind of grown on me a little. But um, your sturge is essentially like this giant mosquito-looking creature, um, and essentially like a mosquito, um, it feeds off of your blood, and it's got these little hooky claw thingies that it uses to latch on. And he's um, almost like bat-like too. He's it's got the like bat wings, yeah, like little leathery. Yeah, he's pretty like gross looking, uh, admittedly. Yeah, I don't know. He's kind of. I don't know. It's kind of like a cute, ugly for me. But <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. Like he's just been one of my favorites, and my uh, players who listen in on this too um, know very often that like just encounters with my sturges probably never go well for my players for some reason. Um, but he's got some pretty. It, it's a pretty low level creature. They're not overly complicated. Um, you know, they've got. I think in Dungeons and Dragons, it's a like challenge rating of one eighth. Which means, for for those of you who haven't haven't listened to previous episodes, if you had a party of say three to five people that were all of a one, you are feasibly supposed to be able <laughs> to put eight of these in front of them and have them be able to fairly easily take care of them. Yeah, I mean, if if not more. Um, now, Pathfinder it says the challenge rating was one half, so yeah. I mean, you guys can do the math on that. But um, it's got a very high dexterity, you know, being the flying, blood-sucking, latching creature that it is. 
Uh, but otherwise, doesn't have anything overly phenomenal. Uh, and I'm sure you guys are thinking by now, well, gosh, why does she even like this creature? It's not really all that impressive. Look, all right, it's a cool creature. It flies, right? Um, it's got 40 feet versus flying, um, or 40 feet flying versus 10 feet walking. So it's not like it's going to walk anywhere. So yeah, don't have them like trying to chase down the, yeah, the players on foot or not going to bode well for them. <laughs> um, and then of course, you know, its main um, damage is going to be by, you know, it actually blood draining its targets. Um so the thing that I really like about its special abilities is that, you know, it it does um, piercing damage when it first lashes on, and then it does um, continue blood loss for every turn that the player has a creature latched or a sturge latched onto them. So it really is taking taking this mosquito uh, really thing is. to the next level. It's, it's living it is. <laughs> it's living its best dream. And of course, it has dark vision. Um, you're going to find these types of... Um, Creatures in like caves or anywhere dark. Uh, I had mine most frequently in caves. Um, it's like I was mentioning before, it's got a very low HP. I mean, I think it's all like two. So Ooh. it doesn't take much to kill them, which is why you, you know, offer them in such high numbers. I think when I first did my encounter, I think I had, I, I want to say like eight of them initially when I first started the encounter with my players. <laughs> But um, and it's one of those situations where you start you you start off the encounter. You're like eight. Eight seems like a lot. Yeah, right. <laughs> and that was my thought. I was like, okay, well, the book says it's low hit points. You know, they should be able to kill them off easily. So they they travel in those packs. Um, they're gonna hang from your ceiling and kind of wait to attack. The thing that I I did like was that you know when your players are say like in a cave, unless they have the right type of of um perception check you know for wisdom they're not going to notice them so it's really fun to kind of throw it on them as a surprise and it's really funny because i did this to my players in one of our very first campaigns and now they're uber paranoid about it and everywhere we go they always make sure that they look up <laughs> i look at the ceiling every I time the ceiling. even if we're not even in like a building or anything they're like we need to look up just in case um so it's kind of funny but uh you know their essential tactic is that they're going to cling to whatever ceiling it is hopefully surprise their victims they're going to latch onto them pierce them and then drain their blood so and, it's a it's a dual purpose attack and the, the important thing to note i think when you talk about them them being in kind of a pack because mm. usually when most people think pack uh pack attacks pack attacks pack attack. uh they're they're thinking of like wolves or other yeah. pack based animals where they're going to gang up on on one creature yeah the team and and not so here no i mean sturges are basically like i'm here to feed yeah and and I want to get the best use of the food. And so they're going to attach to one one Sturge, to mm -hmm. one enemy, unless all the enemies already have a Sturge on them. And then they might share. Who knows? Probably begrudgingly. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it's a little bit different. So you don't get the the, the advantage of pack tactics or anything like that. Yeah, no. Um, you're, you're, it, they're a pack simply because they're all hanging out together. Yeah, I mean, they, they just happen to have a similar purpose, but it's very scattered. So, you know, yeah, there's definitely no strategy behind any of that. Um, they, like I said, they will continue to drain your victim until one of two things happens. Either the victim dies um, or they've that taken... That seems like probably a good, good reason to stop. <laughs> yeah, um, or it's like the second this talk. It's like nothing left. Um, and then, uh, or if they do 10 points of damage, so whichever one happens to come first. Um, so there's good news then. <laughs> yeah. You know, sort they, of. <laughs> they might survive the encounter. So interestingly, like I said, there's nothing overly impressive about the Sturge, but one thing that I, like one reason, one of several reasons why I really liked it was one, I... 
one of the first creatures I came across that had a different type of multi-attack. You know, like normally it was like skeletons, zombies, very straightforward. You hit, you do damage, or they hit and they do damage. This was one where it was like, hey, there's there's two elements to their attacks. And even though they had low hit points, it was just really, for me, a, a very endearing and funny memory associated with it, where I initially did have like those eight Sturgers or so with my players and initially, the intention was that it was supposed to be pretty easy to kill them off. But mm-hmm. I was rolling exceptionally well that night. And my players were rolling quite low. So what started off as like a very, you know, hopefully we can just knock these out and go on our merry way, ended up dragging itself out to like, I can't even say for how long. I think it was like almost 45 minutes of just like trying to like <laughs> fight off these Sturges. And I finally ended up just taking three of the Sturges off the table because it was just so bad. Well, and, and the thing the thing is, is when you use these, when they attach, um, if the player doesn't want to take more damage the next time the Sturge has their turn automatically mm-hmm. they have to use an action to get this thing off of them yes and that's one other thing i loved about the sturges was that you know your player unfortunately has to waste an action just detaching the sturge and then ban their turns done now to the next player otherwise yes. they'll take that extra blood loss damage and so that just totally ruins the action economy <laughs> and and makes yeah. it so the players i mean you could feasibly have a fighter that does action surge and be like i'm going to take it off and i'm going to action surge to kill it yes but if they just if they can't and mm-hmm. they take it off the sturge could literally just attack them again and uh, attach again yeah exactly and and you're back at the uh, back at the start which is essentially what kept happening was that they would attach the sturge the sturge would go right back and with them rolling really low and me rolling really high it just it was this whole compilation of like my players were almost dead from the sturges and i was like this isn't even the main part of the mission these are easy yeah guys (laughs) so sturges remained a very fond memory it sounds makes me sound like an evil dm but it really was just looking back on it it was sort of funny so (laughs) that's why i like the sturges all right um moving on (laughs) (laughs) so moving on we're going to talk about um one of my choices next which is the owlbear owlbear. and and I, I, I like to, when I'm describing the owlbear to, mm. to players, start describing it before they even see it. Mm. So they he, hear a, a hooting or a screech in the woods and then like a, a, a large amount of trampling coming through the underbrush and stuff. And, and so you kind of build, you paint this picture. At first, maybe they're just thinking, oh, hey, there's owls around here. Maybe they're, they're evil owls and they're going to attack us or whatever. <laughs> evil owls. Uh, and then you like have this tromping through the woods. And if they haven't seen an owlbear before, they're like, what the heck is going on? Yeah. Um, and then they kind of explode onto the, onto the scene. And it's this, it, it's this basically this body of a bear with a giant owl head on it. And it's a mixture of feathers and fur and claws and beaks and all sorts of things that, that could give you nightmares at night. Or Felicia thinks are cute. They're adorable. <laughs> it's this cute little fluffy thing with an owl head. It's so cute. But I mean, the important thing is you're, you're going to typically encounter these in a forest. Mm. And most often, uh, unless you happen to stumble upon their den, yeah. you're going to encounter them at night because that's when they go out hunting. And that's when, so if you're, if you're camping, maybe that's when they say, Ooh, a little snack. Yeah. Um, we'll have a hoot. <laughs> but you could potentially, uh, encounter them in their den, uh, yes. which they do get woken fairly easily from what I understand. And in which case you better be ready to go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, my, my favorite part in the, in the monster manual about the owlbears is 
where it has like a little tag on the bottom that says how they are rumored to be created by a demented wizard. <laughs> and I, I read it and I'm going, well, demented, I, I guess maybe, but I'm thinking more like a drunk wizard. Like yeah. he is, he and his wizard buddies are sitting around drinking and going, <laughs> I bet I can make it bear with an owl's head <laughs> and the other one's like oh I'm, I, I'm not i'll take you up on that bet. do it that's how do happened. it yeah <laughs> i think yeah drunken wizard was probably the better <laughs> more likely scenario but so getting into kind of the stats of the owlbear um again we've got a little bit of a of a challenge rating discrepancy between D and pathfinder mm-hmm. again D has them as a as a challenge three and pathfinder has a four yeah. Your results may vary. Just take a look at the stats and, and kind of figure it out. Uh, but the the stats of note, it 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 in either game has a, a very high strength statistic. And being that this is a large beast, that kind of makes sense. And constitution, again, to some some effect. Yeah. Um their special abilities, uh, the the really big one that's going to affect your characters the most is its multi-attack. So it can attack with both its beak and its claws in the same round. And both of those do a, a pretty significant amount of damage oh, yeah. on their own. Uh, and you're just, you're, you're adding them all together. Um, additionally, they have uh, keen sight and smell. So uh, on, on anything that they have to hear, they're not necessarily going to have a very high perception role because their wisdom's not so high but they get advantage on any perception role involving sight or smell Mm -hmm. and so as they're wandering around their territory this is how they figure out that the adventurers are there and they're and then they start hunting them for for food (laughs) as owlbears are known to do um and uh no real special resistances, immunities. These are just kind of beasts that that straightforward attack. I mean, yeah. there's they're they're not going to set traps or wait for you to attack with the right weapon to take damage. They're just out out to get you. So when we talk about those tactics, um, if they if they smell or 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 uh, or see that those players, they're gonna gonna attack, mm-hmm. right? And you've actually ran owlbears in, in your game. I do. I too. like them in my forest. So <laughs> I usually prefer like having my, you know, players going on a path and all of a sudden they stumble onto an owlbear's den and oh, now what? Yep. Yep. Uh, so if they do, if they do see the enemy mm-hmm. um, and they're, let's say, 40 to 80 feet away, they're just, they have a speed of 40. So they're going to charge up 40 yeah. feet. They're not going to overcharge or anything like that. Um, but if they're within 40 feet, they're coming up and they're attacking yeah. they're straight away. Yeah. I mean, I'm grumpy when I wake up in the morning, too, so it's fine. Um, so what about, like, do they hunt together? Do they hunt on their own? I mean, I think I've, when I've done my owlbear scenarios, I've normally kept them as a single solitary creature. I mean, sure, if you want to create, like, a whole backstory for them, of, like, you know, the owlbear dad trying to support his owlbear family and him and owlbear wife are just going through some drama right now and things are a little strained. But, you know, just until the kids get through college, things will be fine. Sure, you can have a pack of owlbears. <laughs> I, I I think generally speaking, they usually do. I agree on their own. Sometimes yeah. you can have the mates hunt together. Um, in very rare cases, I guess you could maybe have like the owlbear kids hunting with the owlbear mom and dad. What do you even call an owlbear baby? I don't know. What's a baby owl? I guess you'd have to go with cubs. 
Yeah. <laughs> As very, I feel like I should know what a baby owl I'm is gonna called. Go, yeah. Now I'm going to go look up what a baby owl is called. I think one um, interesting thing about um, the owlbears is in spite of its strength and speed when charging, it has a pretty low AC, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. It's it's like 13. Um, yeah. So, I mean, oh. definitely not not a pushover, but it's... it's, it's yeah. Kind of a softie. Yeah, it, it definitely is, is not hard to hit. But no. it's just a mass of fur and feathers. It's not it's like it has... It's a sensitive soul, John. All right? It's a lover, not a fighter. Um, the interesting thing that I found when I was doing research into this, and I had never really experienced this or even knew it was a thing, but apparently some races train them and use them as war beasts. Oh, now, so can you imagine being at war and like having this goblin chasing you down on top of an uh, on top of an owlbear i guess i just don't see the logic in it for me because if they're so easy to kill it just seems like an awful waste of time and training well at that point you're you're talking about swarm tactics so mm-hmm. you're if if you're at war you're not going to have one owlbear you'll have uh, 30 owlbears that whole owlbear family <laughs> <laughs> and if they get the first attack then then they're significantly oh, yeah. more likely to survive, right? Next episode, strategies on using owlbears in war. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, the reason that I chose this monster is partially just because we've talked about it so much mm. on, on the podcast. It's like the, the go-to example um, when we when we talk about encounters and, and bizarre encounters, when you mix and match stuff. Definitely a classic. Um, but, but also because... It is just kind of an iconic monster in in these role playing games. Oh, yeah. um, if if somebody's played it for for even a year or or more, yeah, they've probably heard of an owlbear. They're gonna know what the owlbear is. They're gonna see that picture and they're like, "That is an owlbear." <laughs> yep. And I mean, even if they've never heard of it before, you can see the picture and be like, "Is that?" owl bear is that a bear with an owl head yeah what drunken it, wizard it, came up with that there's not a whole lot of explanation that you need to do to get to that it just <laughs> that is it just is <laughs> <laughs> what do you do when schools are closed and the stores are all out of toilet paper for some reason relax what you need now is some fun Whether you're social distancing or just need some time away from the people that think toilet paper is the currency of the future, spending some time on Darkwind is the perfect solution. Our sponsor for this episode is Darkwind, an online text-based multiplayer role-playing game. Explore the debilitating heat of Suvriel, or just spend some time playing cards at the Adventurer's Guild. Whatever your preference, Darkwind's always free. So come join in the fun by pointing your browser to play.darkwind.org. Up next mm. is your next favorite one. Yes, one of my next favorite. Um, going along the lines of flying creatures. Um, so the next monster that I chose was a wraith. Uh, definitely besides the flying part, but it's, it's complete opposite of Sturge. A very powerful creature. Um, one that has a lot of um, advantages. Um, and, and something that your, your players will have to be very resourceful in, in trying to kill. But essentially a wraith is just like this floating, undead, very, very hangry ghost. Incorporeal. Yes, incorporeal. <laughs> Say that right? That's our next uh, nemesis, nemesis word. 
Um, it's just hateful to everything. You know, it's had a lot of haterade in its life, and, and now in its undead life, it's just going to continue with that path. So it's not not something that you can probably negotiate with. Huh? Yeah, it definitely is not one of those, like, you. no matter how much charisma your character's got, this is just not a creature to negotiate with at all. No. Um, and, and then you'll mostly find them in dark areas, caves, tombs, dungeons, um, graveyards, you know, at night, things like that, because it is a sunlight-sensitive creature. And sunlight-sensitive in the case of D&D means that, uh, if I'm not mistaken, that it rolls at disadvantage yes. if it's in the sun. Exactly, yeah. It will roll a disadvantage. So, so I mean, that's that's overall kind of description of a wraith. So it's going to be a challenge rating of five in both Pathfinder and D&D. Ooh, that was exciting. Yeah, find, I know. I, I was say. like, oh, look at this. It's the same <laughs> everywhere. For its stats, pretty much Everything is really high on the charts, with the exception of strength. Um, and I would say that a wraith doesn't really need to rely on strength anyways, because it's got so much else going for it. And it's got nothing to carry around. I mean, it's yeah. incorporeal. Yeah, what are you going to do? Like, <laughs> carry a ghost ball? I don't know. Um, ghost ball. That's my new magic item. Ghost ball. <laughs> ghost ball. <laughs> um, so special abilities. Gosh. Okay. So obviously this thing flies because of its incorporeal nature uh it also can travel through walls and through creatures which is interesting because you know if it's fighting it can like travel right through that and that makes me wonder what that must feel like to have something like i mean if you go by like all the ghost hunter shows it's a cold presence yeah (laughs) (laughs) um one of the things i really like about its special abilities is that if it does happen to kill one of your characters um it can actually raise that in character as an undead slave and that character has to work on their behalf um, as its servant. Um, it has uh, a life drain, which means that essentially it's going to hit you with necrotic damage, but your character also has to do a, um, was it a constitution saving throw? Yep. And I think it was a fairly high yeah. difficulty check as well. Yeah. I think depending, uh, I want to say a 14, I believe. Um, so, you know, and if it did, if you don't make that constitution saving throw, then whatever hit points you took, from it, it's going to lower your your maximum, your hit point max to that, like from that amount of points. So if you took like eight points of damage, then your new hit point max is going to be eight points lower than what it was before. Wow. I So I heard you tell, when we were talking about this, you told me that it reduced your, your max hit points. I did not understand that it reduced it by the amount that it rolled for damage. Yes. That's, uh, that's some hardcore that's stuff That's significant, there. right? <laughs> yeah. And then of course, you know, dark vision, all that kind of stuff. Um, so the big guns here with this particular um, creature is that it has a buttload of immunities and resistances like that was the surprising thing to me because when I first played this this monster for my characters I didn't read too closely initially like what all of its resistance and and, and immunities were so you know when someone was like okay I'm gonna do you know I'm gonna do fire you know fireball and I'm looking down like oh huh go figure it has like you know resistance and then I'm like wow it has resistance to a lot of things like I'll give you an idea acid cold Fire, lightning, bludgeoning, slashing, has resistances to all of that among the immunities. Necrotic, it can't be poisoned, charmed, paralyzed, poisoned, why are you said poisoned? Poisoned again, restrained. I mean, we, we considered reading off all of, all of the uh, uh, immunities and resistances, but we figured we might have to have a totally separate episode for that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so point made on this, it, a crazy ton of, of immunities and resistances, um, you know, obviously... The resistance and immunities, there, there's a difference there. Um, but long story short, or long story long, it makes it a very drawn out battle because 
your players aren't able to do as much damage to the things that it has resistances to, no damage at all to the things it's immune to, um, they have to get really, really creative in, in how this thing you know, is going to be defeated. And maybe not drawn out if they don't make those saving throws. Yeah, and, and then they're <laughs> going to become slaves of the wraith. And then, well, then where are we going to be at? Yeah, and that's the that's the thing you mentioned was because it can raise these undead, mm-hmm. you're probably not just fighting the wraith. Yeah, you're going to be fighting your fellow comrades, your fallen <laughs> comrades, true friendly fire, right? Um so yeah, that and that's when it comes to tactics, this is what you're thinking of. You know, you have a flying creature that not only has very high resistances and immunities, has very strong attacks, and then can take your your comrades and make them your enemies if they kill them. So, you know, it's it's very strategy-wise as a DM, it's definitely something that like, you know, um you can kind of use to keep your players on their toes, so to speak, because it definitely is one that like, wow, you know, we may not survive this encounter. Yeah, and and one of my favorite things about them is just because they are incorporeal. Mm-hmm. Is if you're using uh, a wraith in your in your campaign in your in your battle, mm-hmm. keep that in mind because they can move through things and and people. Mm-hmm. And so one of the tactics could be to attack and then move through a wall. Yeah. And the next round that the player has, they're having to figure out how to get through the wall, get around mm-hmm. the wall, whatever. And then they can just come back through and attack them again. Yeah. Um, so, so definitely keep that in mind. Don't just don't just um, have them have them stand there and and accept whatever damage the players give them. They can always move around, yeah. move through things. That means that they don't have any sort of uh, sort of issues with terrain or anything mm-hmm. like that uh, that your players may have. Well, and the other thing to keep in mind, too, when we're talking about moving around is that wraiths have, what was it, like double the amount of movement that your players have, like your typical player, what, 30 feet, mm-hmm. I think, at a time, but your wraith is 60 feet, so they can move twice as far. So, like you were saying, that the back and forth, you know, when that movement comes there, yeah, that's easy. Like, move, attack, move way back, and now you're out of range. What are they going to do? Yeah. You know? Um, so, it's definitely uh, a, a monster that I, I, I could appreciate just for its complexity and the difficulty in killing it (laughs) while trying to just keep yourself alive. And definitely you want to, you know, in this scenario, it would not do very well if you were having a bad roll day. Because, you know, if this is how it turned out for the Sturges, then there's no chance that you're going to handle the Wraith. (laughs) So I think that brings us to our last monster for today. Yes. And you had an undead choice too, didn't you? Yeah. Yeah. And we thought about whether to put undead back to back but went ahead with it full full steam ahead here why not uh so mine is the shadow Mm. and and so the thing about the shadow is is they look like their name they look like a shadow so uh, a humanoid shadow of some some sort and um and the the thing the thing i really like about them is they're drawn to creatures with vitality (laughs) And preferably untainted by evil. Mm. So if you've got a, a party of good players, this is an excellent enemy to throw throw at them. Um, but moving on to the the stats, uh, again we've got a discrepancy. D and D has them at, at a half um, mm-hmm. of challenge rating, where Pathfinder has them at three. And um, that's a pretty distinct uh, disparity there. Yeah, I think there's a little bit of a difference in in how they use their their abilities. Mm. Uh, I know that, for instance, uh, I, I mentioned that they prefer untainted by evil. Yeah, uh, that's D and D and Pathfinder. They're just like, hey, souls, 
Good, good yeah. job. I'm, I'm, you're coming with me. They take all souls, regardless. <laughs> uh, so stats of note, really the dexterity on this one, uh, it, it gets a stealth bonus and, um, uh, and it's big, it's a shadow. So mm-hmm. it's big thing is, is hiding. Um, as shadows do. Yep. So special abilities, uh, it's amorphous. So it's not, uh, incorporeal like our wraith was. So it does have actual form to it. Mm. Uh, but it can fit through. It can fit through a space one inch wide without squeezing. Is without squeezing is an interesting thing to so include in, less in that. Less than one inch, it's going to have to squeeze a little. <laughs> the the book didn't say how much it could squeeze. Yeah, so. <laughs> it's really squeezing now. <laughs> um, so it gets shadow stealth, which mm. means that if it's dim or dark, uh, as a bonus action, it can it can hide. Oh, okay. Obviously, if it's not being seen by somebody uh if you're if someone's looking at it then hiding is not going to do as much good yeah. uh sunlight weakness just like our wraith so mm-hmm. disadvantage in the sun uh it has it has strength drain as one of its attacks which is necrotic damage much like the wraith did but mm-hmm. it does 1d4 of strength reduction and this is really important uh in my mind because as as you take more and more strength off of someone they lose damage capabilities. Yeah. They lose uh, bonuses to hit. Mm-hmm. Um, they start not being able to carry the things that they're carrying if you're a DM that tracks weight and stuff. Yeah. Uh, so there's a lot of things that happen there. Beware all dwarven warriors. And if you get to a zero strength, <laughs> you die. <laughs> there, is, there are no death saving throws with a zero strength. You wow. just die. D-E-D dead. Yeah, so that's big stuff. Mm. Um, and then, then lastly, if the shadow does happen to kill you, uh, it does shadow creation. Mm-hmm. And so, if if you uh, in D and D, if you're if you're good aligned and you get killed by the shadow within one d four hours, your shadow will separate from your body and become an undead shadow oh as well. Gosh. And and my favorite part about shadow creation is if if the players that were with you come back and resurrect you. Your shadow is now going to come and hunt you down. No. So it's not just like you can walk away from the battlefield. No. They're like, get back here. I'm not done with you. It's like that black knight on Monty Python. So um, resistances, immunities are very similar to Wraith. Mm. Um, everything. Yeah, pretty much like just about everything. Uh, just a massive list. I would suggest looking in the book because we're not yeah. going to read them off again. Yep. So tactics, I, I thought that we could kind of interact a little bit with this one and and let you kind of go with, with where you see tactics going oh. with this, being that they're a shadow. <laughs> um, I mean, yeah, like, so, you know, I frequently like to do campaigns in, in dark places anyways. Mm-hmm. So, you know, tombs and dungeons and caves and the likes, mines and whatnot. So this would probably be a good place for these types of encounters, obviously filled with shadow. Um you know, most, I want to say most, if not all of the players in my particular group have dark vision. So, you know, if you happen to have a group that says human based and doesn't have the dark vision, you know, this is an opportunity perhaps to kind of take advantage of that hiding mechanism that you were talking about. Um, I guess I, I would try to find the wider than one inch crevices <laughs> through which my shadow could travel through. <laughs> um, you know, and, and maybe like try to be clever in some cases, like maybe, you know, there's a, a half opened sarcophagus in this tomb and, you know, he slithers out of it, you know, kind of a thing. You can make it a whole presentation thing. Um, and, you know, I'm trying to think in my group, I think I have one 
I want to say we have a cleric or a paladin in our group. So a cleric for sure. Yeah. So I would probably, you know, obviously with that strategy in mind, go for the one I knew I could sense his goodness. Uh, and he would be the one that I would, I would probably target first. So, I mean, pretty much in line with what the book would be saying is essentially what I would kind of go with. But, you know, maybe I'm just not all that creative. What about you? Well, I kind of, I, I kind of like the idea of saying if, as they, as the players are walking, mm-hmm. saying something like out of the corner of your eye, you see a shadow move. Ooh. And, and just by saying it like that, yeah, it could be, a, you they could think you're talking about a shadow of some creature. Mm. You're talking about something else or you're talking about an actual shadow creature. Yeah. Um, and then when they go to look, they've hidden and stuff and, and wait until they're close enough that they can just attack from where they're at. I mean, the, the big thing with the shadow, since they're, since they get that bonus to hiding, um, and they have that, that dex bonus, um, you're you're gonna want to ambush hide and ambush yeah uh obviously with how they work in D D, you're going to target those those yeah the clerics the paladins whoever is is good aligned. Tissues. yeah yeah and so if you've got if you've got a, a a good aligned member of the party and everyone else is like neutral or yeah. evil well, well good luck buddy sucks for you <laughs> Now, I'm assuming that shadows are kind of similar to wraiths in that you can't negotiate with them. No, they, no. You, they, their, their whole goal is to make more shadows. Wraithy, um, wraith approach. Yeah. Okay. Uh, it's not necessarily because of hate. Um, uh, Disgruntledness? I, I don't think so. They just don't like the light people. Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. A little bit of a moralist there. That's fine. Yeah. And, and again, when you're, when you're doing an encounter with them, make sure you're using that strength drain to mm-hmm. full effect. Um, Which I would, I would actually love to see that in effect with the dwarven fighter in our group because that is always <laughs> his strategy. He 100% relies on his strength for every move. So yeah. that would be kind of funny to see. That, that really did kind of sound evil as a DM, I think. And I don't know, um, maybe you know this, in, in Pathfinder, you only heal for ability point damage, you only heal one ability point per day. So, oh. so that's the other thing that, it, and I, again, I don't know how D&D handles it. I'm going to go, go and look it up after this and mm. I'll figure it out. But that that's, has a longer lasting effect than just yeah. this battle. Um, I think for me, like, I, I'm going to be honest. I honestly don't know off the top of my head, but that's only because I've never had to have any encounters that took like your ability points away and to see how long they came back. Mm-hmm. Um, cause you're talking about the whole strength ability, right? Yep. Yeah. I've, I've never had to use an encounter that has done that. So it's always just been hit points, hit points, hit points, and you know, long rest, short rests, that whole thing. So I would be curious myself. Um, so I'll have to look it up cause this would be a very fun like, you know, monster to throw at my players. Yeah. And I, I got to imagine that with, with a, a one half, uh, uh, challenge rating for D and D that these are meant to hang out and be buddies with other shadows. Mm-hmm. Oh um, yeah. In groups. So you, you could really, really have, have an interesting time. Yeah. You have multiple and they're mm-hmm. all going for the same good aligned character. Yeah. It could uh, it could get messy quick. It really kind of reminds me once again of like Sturges. You know, in, in individually, they're not like creatures, like, strong creatures or creatures that would take a lot to kill. But they do an awful lot of damage. You know, when they when they attack, and then you know, if you build them all up, yep, then it, things can go very very wrong very quickly. 
I should do like an attack that consists of Sturges and Shadows. <laughs> oh, man. Can you imagine that? And eventually the Shadows start attacking the Sturges. <gasps> and they became Shadow Sturges. Oh, they can oh only, my gosh. They, can, they only do humanoids, unfortunately. Oh. Well, that's oh. disappointing. Yeah. Well, that means um, that they'll leave the Sturges alone and, and they can both attack at the same I time. Yes. <laughs> oh, but the Sturges took their Shadow Souls or whatever. Then the, wait, if the Shadows took their Souls, then the Sturges could feed off the corpses. It's like a symbiotic relationship there. there. It could work. It really could work. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So why I chose the shadow. I think there's been a lot of conversation. You probably understand why. Mm -hmm. But one of the reasons is because I I chose the Albert, which is such a uh, straightforward, upfront, cute, uh, kill the enemy with, with strength and attacks kind of creature. And the shadow is a little bit more nuanced. Mm -hmm. Um, You have to, you, you, you hide you attack. You, your goal is to is to kill these good aligned players mm-hmm. so that you can make them your own shadow buddy. Yeah. Um, um, so I, I really like kind of the dichotomy of those two. Yeah, I can and, appreciate that. And so I thought it'd be fun to add into the episode. Yeah, no, I like that. I like the choices too. I mean, I think owl bears are adorable. <laughs> um, but you know, they're they're mighty in their own way, and the shadows. I I would be interested in trying them out in one of our future campaigns. Just from like how you describe them. So good choices. All right. Yeah. Well, I think that's all we had for today. Mm-hmm. Um, stay tuned. Uh, we'll have another episode in a couple of weeks. And who knows when we'll have our next My Favorite Monster. But keep an <laughs> eye out. We'll, yeah. we'll be back with another one. This was fun to do. Yeah. So <laughs> until next time, everyone. Stay, stay nerdy, friends. Thank you for joining us, everyone. We really enjoy making the show. And we like it even better when pe- more people listen. So please take a moment to share the podcast with someone, a friend, a loved one, that telemarketer that just called. Any way you can help get the word out would be a big help. Becoming DM is produced by John Welsh and Felicia Martinez. The show is edited by John Welsh. We'll be back in two weeks. See you then.